welcome to cii podcasts hello and welcome to this cii podcast series i am vivian fernandez the topic of discussion today is manufacturing with a focus on the automobile sector manufacturing output in inflation adjusted rupees was 1.3 trillion less in the last financial year than in the previous pre-pandemic fiscal year covid related restrictions have clearly affected production manufacturing growth in the first four months of this year is lower than growth between april and july 2019 corporates are also not investing enough when will manufacturing recover and can we expect its share in gdp to rise from the present level of 14 percent to discuss this and more particularly the auto industry we have with us mr vikram kirloska vice chairman of toyota kirloskar motors besides cars Mr. Kirloskar is also in the business of manufacturing auto components, plastic parts and textile machinery. He is chairman of CII's National Manufacturing Council as well. Mr. Kirloskar, thanks for making the time to talk to us. Thank you. Mr. Kirloskar, when can we see a turnaround in the manufacturing sector? See, overall demand has to go up. And we have seen a big spurt coming through after the second wave. The second wave was I think crushing on everyone, uh, not only uh, people, people of course got affected very, very badly. I think it was a sad situation across the country. We've recovered from it, vaccinations are on the rise, so there is a hope. But if, again, if I go back to the automobile industry and look at it over, uh, you know, one is we can quickly look at it post uh, the second wave where there's been fantastic demand, pent up demand. Uh, there are some issues on supply chains in the auto industry, but there's a huge pent-up demand and the industry is having a huge order book. But if I look at numbers over the, say, last 10 years, you'll see no growth. And maybe in some sectors like two-wheelers and three-wheelers and even commercial vehicles, amongst the lowest in 10, 15 years numbers, which is really, really unfortunate. So there, there is... Uh, if I look at the auto industry, I, you know, I try to reason myself out saying we have more uh, uh, public transport, more metros in more cities than ever. Uh, we have the phenomena of shared mobility more than ever. And perhaps this is also affecting it. But I don't think that's really a, you know, that's not the best answer to this question. I think, frankly, uh, demand is has come down, it is constrained. And finally, manufacturing will pick up with the demand. I, I believe there are two big drivers of the uh, manufacturing industry in this country. First, I, I believe the textile industry can be a big uh, uh, engine of growth, even more than the automobile industry. Uh, because it, especially if we go with man-made, I mean, uh, uh, natural textile, like cotton, it starts right from the farmer up to the garment and there's huge potential employment and huge variety of prices as well. And, you know, in case it, uh, bulk of the machinery is made in India. So it's, it's, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, of course, man-made fiber is equally important. It's even, even much, much bigger than the uh, 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 natural fiber industry. And with the latest PLI, I hope it has some effect and we see some growth there. On the auto industry, also a big engine of growth. Uh, a lot of the growth in the component industry has come from uh, components. 
but domestic market has not increased. So the domestic car industry, I was looking at the domestic uh, sales trends of cars for the past 12 years. If yeah. you look at the past decade, I think except for three years when uh, domestic car sales exceeded 3 million numbers, yes. otherwise it has been in the range of 2.5 to 3 million. Yes. Even the exports, they are in the range of let's say 6 lakh to 7.5 lakhs. Yes. You know, at one time we were expecting India's car industry to do numbers of let's say 7 million. I mean, those numbers are not there. Is that because the India's uh, economic growth has not caught up? And that is why we see that, you know, in the in the larger in the larger car market, there's not much of growth It's mostly in the small car segment. You know, I believe if we have to fulfill the dreams of Indian Indians, uh, you know, aspirations of Indians, we need econo economic growth of more than nine to 10 percent. Manufacturing is one of the key, key uh, uh, factors for this uh, or requirements for to get this kind of growth because it's not just the individual in the OEM factory which gets employed but it, it sets up a whole supply chain of employment uh, from the raw material to the finished good and the distribution and service and you know, the whole thing. So you got to figure out how to get the economic growth out. Mm -hmm. uh, it's yes small cars are more but if you look at look at the numbers again you, you, you must have studied. A segment used to be the big growth. No, 10 years ago. It's B segment now. So actually there's a graduation and it has gone up to little more expensive cars. A segment actually has come down, which are the smallest cars. In your own case, in the case of Toyota, we see that yeah. the numbers have almost doubled from I think 4,800 last year to about yeah. 10,000 now. And a lot of it is my most expensive product, which is the Fortuner. <laughs> the growth in Fortuner has almost doubled. So it's, uh, I, I don't know, and people who have more money are having more of it. And uh, we, we need to watch the other side of the pyramid as well, more carefully. During COVID time, I think around the world, a lot of uh, money has been spent, a lot of money has been printed and spent. Uh, but the discrepancy between rich and poor has perhaps increased. Not forget in India, India is very little. I think it has not affected so much. We have done more at the ground level than most other countries. But if you look at some of the Western countries, which are countries, there's a huge discrepancy, which has increased actually after the COVID spending. And I, I do believe uh, uh, two things. One is we need to take care of the bottom of the pyramid as much as possible, skilling, education, etc., and therefore self-employment jobs. That's the, that's the only way the economy will grow. Uh, and the second is, you know, we are a highly taxed uh, uh, economy. Uh, even big cars are highly taxed. You add insurance, you add this, you add everything else. I, I do believe the, the volume game, reducing costs around and increasing demand will give more benefit to government revenue than just trying to keep raising taxes. We need the volume, it will give benefit not only in revenue, but in terms of employment and you know, the whole whole infrastructure development of the country. Let's say duties are half and the car volume doubles. Employment will go up six, seven times. It's, it's not just the OEM employment. Let's say OEMs put robots and automate the whole thing and do not increase. OEMs account for a very small part of the employment. It's the whole component 
value chain and it's a, and it's a delivery chain in terms of dealers servicemen technicians it's a hell of a lot of stuff which is out there which which will change the uh, uh, the, the landscape of the country and it's not only in the automobiles i think it's across the board we have to look at it but one of the things uh, that uh, the, the the second thing which i feel is important for the growth of economy we also look at uh, self certification for all applications central government has done a lot no no question central government has done a lot for ease of doing business it has it has to percolate down to the states and everywhere why don't you look at self certification on any kind of application that you do and do audits you have artificial intelligence now you have so many other things which can direct can go for audits so just go for self certification and trust the guy who's applying that itself will change the landscape of investment i think government is trying very hard to get out of the business of business i think it it takes two to play the uh, uh, game i think business uh has to self govern equally well okay and it has to it has to, there has to be mutual trust between uh, business and government and business and society unless you we have that confidence of self of mutual trust and and confidence of governance self governance the ease of business rules will never get easier so it's i think it, 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 the the It, 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 it takes two to clap. Okay. okay, the point is well taken. So you spoke about you know how do we get growth going? Yes. Now, if you look at uh, the first decade of this century, we had uh, three years of nine percent growth. Yes. During Vajpayee's time, we were talking about India shining. Yes. And generally, India has done well when the world economy has done well. Yes. And this is the time when the world economy is doing well. Yes. The Indian economy might be contracting, but the world economy is growing very well. So why can't we take advantage of that opportunity and export more? Because that's the only way we can get growth. I, I, I agree with you. The only thing you know I, I can say is from you know as an individual, as a company, what do we try to do? And what, what we are understanding over the last year, especially COVID, we have learned a lot, is how do we get more competitive? Two and originally we used to look at cost. quality cost delivery now we are adding environment safety and governance in the whole equation because that's what our customers look for over times for our company uh, we've been able to bring down a lot of operating costs you know offices travel uh, work from home many many things have come down we've actually become quite competitive in our cost structure not only in operations but also in capital equipment we are doing a fairly large capital investment program right now uh, And typically, we would have the way Toyota works is there are different factories doing investment programs, and it goes in a series around the world on technology. And a lot of a large group of common people tend to go around the world helping do the setting, and then again leave. You don't need all those people when you set up. But this time, because of COVID, we couldn't do it, and therefore we ended up re-educating our own people, building up the knowledge. as well as using as much huge amount of local suppliers to do the capital investment which has resulted in a significant reduction in our capital costs which means much more competitive and i think i think this kind of learning that yes we have to be we can be super competitive if we are determined and innovative is the way i i hope 
uh, we can get more overseas business, uh, more export business, uh, and you know, and grow. That's that's the that it's a learning that we've got out of this. So, how, where have you cut costs? Because one is, of course, interest. Interest costs are coming down. Not salaries, <laughs> not salaries, and not people. Okay, let me tell you that. Not you are not you are not deploying you are not deploying more robots, more automation. No, let me let me. We are we are doing that, but we are doing different kinds of. We are developing a lot of the automation ourselves, and we use something called low energy automation, which we develop us, which we have developed. We build a lot of it in the factory, and uh, and with help of course from local suppliers and subcontractors, uh, where you where gravity is the primary source of energy. So our, our whole focus in cost cutting has been, say, energy. Energy is a big cost for us. So one is sheer reduction of energy in production. Second is we've gone to almost uh, all all uh, renewable power. We're running basically on solar energy. Okay, and that is now uh, we started that activity five, six years, eight years ago. It's giving us huge benefits right now in terms of cost. Second, water. Water is one. Of, uh, India has one of the most expensive industrial waters available. We've stopped using water from the government for production. The only place we use water is in the canteen for, for whatever uh, psychological reasons, for food and, uh, and, and canteen requirements. All the other water, when we were quite a large consumer, we started this activity many years ago. One was water conservation, water recycling and rainwater harvesting. That, forget the, econom uh, the environmental benefit, also a huge economic benefit. Recyclable so, packaging. So when I look at the automobile industry, it has its contribution to improving the quality of manufacturing in this country has been immense. We have had yes. Kaizen, we have had Six Sigma quality where we measure defects not in percentages but, but in parts per million. Then we have the, had the suggestion box scheme to make workers on the shop floor feel that they belong. Yes. Uh, we have had this thing about getting it right the first time every time because rework adds to cost. Now, post-COVID, what are the new trends that are happening? How, how have digital technologies, for example, um, reshaped the car industry? Are they bringing down costs? See, digital technology we have been using, we have been at the forefront of using digital technology in manufacturing, and we are continuously upgrading. And our objective as a, as a company is, from the customer to the supplier, how we can make the pathway uh, strong, the information pathway is strong and reliable and how fast we can react to that information pathway. So as a you're a customer of a car and there are going to be a lot more like you. If you have an issue, how fast does it get to the right people in the factory to react and how can it be permanently solved? I mean, that's that will be the effect for a customer uh, uh, finally. But he, he, he doesn't care what technology is. He wants to see the result of it. And, and that's what we are focusing on. What is the what does the customer want, and where can we employ digital technology to make sure that the customer gets what what he wants? Mm -hmm. So, in the case of selling a car, for example, I think much of your marketing has now shifted online. There's less of it happening offline. So, does it mean marketing that you know, you are bypassing the dealers? No, no, we are not bypassing the dealer. We rely totally on the dealer because finally, this is the most expensive purchase for an Indian. Probably his entire life saving he's, he's committing towards purchasing a car. An average, an average Indian, that's what it will be. So he likes to talk with a dealer 
he wants the confidence that a dealer will give him that the guy will look after the car. I don't think for for us for me a dealer is very very important in the car business, especially for the average person. He he, he wants to see someone's face. The marketing is a very simple part of the digital equation. How to get the quality right to the customer is the more tough part, and that's where the digital thing is more important. We we work hard. Our suppliers, I've got I think eighty ninety percent of suppliers are zero ppm suppliers. They are the best in the country. The suppliers are, are amongst as good as anywhere, almost as good as anywhere else in the Toyota world. And uh, we do this with a lot of skill exchange, knowledge exchange, training, and commitment, and digital, of course. This is but but the digital thing, marketing is the easiest part. So you were talking about car sales not increasing. Is it possible that there is an overhang of uh, new technology, electric cars, for example, on the horizon? So do you see people postponing their uh, purchases? Uh, you know, um, in view of this new technology, or do you think that they are going in for more for pre-owned cars rather than investing in new cars, thinking that you know they'll have to face them anyways in about five years down the line? Pre-owned car market is is uh, increasing in India. It's still much lower than a developed country than like the US. Okay, uh, because we tend to hold on to our cars longer, but that is coming less and less. And I, uh, if I look at the data of the last few years. The the volume in pre-owned cars is increasing. You're finding the pre-owned car business as a good, solid business model going ahead. One of the issues that's going to crop up is the increase in, you know, fresh registration, which was announced today, uh, of more than 10-year and 15-year cars and commercial vehicles have increased the rates by eight or ten times to to get rid of uh, older vehicles off the roads, encourage people to get rid of older vehicles off the road. But the pre-used car business will grow. People are going to say, "Okay, is there a way I can replace my car every three years or four years instead of every seven years or eight years?" And there will be a big market for the pre-used cars. I think that is going on. You'll find warranties and you'll find better maintained pre-used cars available with with a proper dealer and all that. All that is all that is going to happen. I, I, but I don't think that's a reason for shortage of new car sales. And I don't think it's new technology also which is a shortage for new car sales. Is a chip shortage? Chip that is a production related. Right now the industry is sitting on half a million backlog okay. uh, orders. So chip shortage is certainly one of the reasons for production uh, problems. Uh, whole supply chain distortion, container distortion. I think there's some of these COVID effects we'll get over. Chip shortage, I'm told, may last even longer. It's not a It's not a short-term problem. It could be a longer-term problem because chips are in demand on every, whether it's a phone or any device, refrigerator, you know, you name it, has a has a digital backbone nowadays. So, so how long is it going to last? One year, two years? God knows. God knows. God knows. It's like the COVID vaccine. Maybe never. You'll never be having uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> Sir, some companies, some countries rather, and some companies also. Have said that they're going to phase out the internal combustion engine by say let's let's say 2030 or 2035. 35. When do you see that happening in India? You have to look at each country's, I think, energy equation, and what is right for the country. If you look at a country like uh, perhaps Norway, which makes 
all its electricity through hydropower. An electric vehicle is ideal and you find electrics and hybrids, plug-in hybrids are what are selling most. It's a very tiny market, but it's, that's, that's what, it's ideal for that. But if you look in India, maybe even in Germany, where Germany is going all coal-based power plants because they stopped the nuclear activity. But in India, 80, I think 75-80% of not of coal generation, of power generation is coal. This, this, this is one issue. So what, what is your objective as a country? Reduce carbon, reduce pollution, reduce import of oil. So, so, so we, have, we have a lot of uh, things out there. So what you are saying is that electric cars will not be non-polluting if the power that charges them is produced from fossil fuels. In yes. that case, you're only shifting the incidence of pollution right. rather than, you know, re reducing the load of emissions on the planet. You know, this, I share an argument saying, uh, yeah, okay, in a big city like Delhi, we reduce, go to all electric cars, that'll be great, no pollution Delhi. You know, it's, it's like the farmers burning... Uh, uh, stubble. Stubble in Punjab and Haryana or wherever, and you put a power plant in Punjab and Haryana, so okay, we'll move it out there. And you let, they, they burn it and you get the pollution. You can't have that. You, you, you have to look at the country as a whole, I think. We have to bring the pollution down. And I still believe in this energy efficiency is the most important thing to bring pollution down. So overall energy efficiency is not only cars. It has to go around to refrigerators. It has to go down. See, the, the, the problem is if you have a fuel efficient or energy efficient air conditioner, it requires higher technology. It requires higher cost. But the tax rate is same, so you are actually in paying more cash out for a higher efficiency product than a lower efficiency product. Not only is the price higher, but you are also paying a higher tax, which is, which is I think an anomaly which needs to be corrected. And one way to look at it is based on carbon taxation. I don't know how to do it, the tax experts are there, but how will you tax high carbon? I think it's something which we have to think about so high carbon emitting uh, things get taxed higher low carbon lower I, I think i think that can change the equation in this uh, mr gadkari is talking about flex fuels and ethanol uh, there's some studies from brazil i have seen an ethanol hybrid from a well to wheel basis and this was presented at the siam uh, meeting mr gadkari was there by a brazilian expert was showing the lowest carbon emission Half, almost half of an electric vehicle, again, well to be. That was showing, that was the numbers in Brazil. So you are an advocate for ethanol blending? I, I'm an advocate for whatever will reduce carbon. As I said, as a, as a company, we are, we are trying to make our manufacturing go to zero carbon neutral. Our biggest issue right now is, uh, is gas, and, uh, you know, uh, CNG or, or LPG or CNG or whatever we're using in the ovens in the paint shop and we are trying to figure out how to get out of there. Once we do that, we in manufacturing, we'll, we'll be almost, we'll be close to net zero carbon. And on the products, we want to reduce our, uh, uh, we have a long-term target to get all over to zero, but we want to definitely start reducing our carbon emission on our products in the next two, three years. So where do you stand on uh, fuel cell technology? Fuel cell technology, I, I think hydrogen is a, is a, uh, is something really worth exploring, not only uh, as uh, not only to drive a vehicle, but you know, hydrogen is worth looking at, at fertilizer, steel plants, and all those things. Green hydrogen, 
I think the country is studying this. I'm the chairman of our Green Energy Task Force right now of CII. We've just started discussing it. I'm learning more about it. Uh, great for heavy duty transport. I mean, like trains and buses and trucks. Uh, you know, I think weight for weight, uh, hydrogen has maybe 150 or some, I forget the number, times the energy of lithium it can store. As energy storage device, hydrogen is fantastic. So there's so many, so many things besides cars on hydrogen. And a hydrogen-based economy is something uh, uh, the PM has recognized, many people have recognized. Uh, Japan is going all out for it. China is looking at it, many countries are looking at it. I think uh, it's something worth uh, chasing and making a strategy in the long term for it. Should we have a, as high ambition for hydrogen as we had uh, in the past for space? I think so. Hydrogen, see for us, if I look at uh, long-term prospects for India, energy is our biggest issue. Yes, yes we have lots of coal. If you just heard the story on coal, we have three, four days uh, uh, stock of coal. Uh, coal is a problem with carbon unless you have really new technology in using coal for generation. So en energy is a, a big, big issue. We have a lot of sunlight. Sunlight can uh, uh, make green hydrogen, which can be stored. Sunlight cannot be stored. Battery is one storage, but green hydrogen seems to be a, a better storage, which you can transport also around the country. And you can use it in different ways as well. Uh, so anything that will reduce our dependency on energy from around the world and make us self-sufficient in energy, I think is a way to go. That's why ethanol also, I, I think it's a, I think it's something which is worth researching, worth putting the energy after and going on. At Toyota, what are you betting on? Electric vehicles, hybrid? Uh, the architecture of our vehicles, uh, what Toyota has done and therefore we are trying to address all the markets. There are in, in, a, in, a, in the new age vehicles, called new age vehicles, there are a couple of components which are very, very key. One is an electric motor, one is a controller and one is a battery. And these three items are common across our hybrid, plug-in hybrid, battery electric vehicle and a hydrogen vehicle. All four have the same common parts. And we are focusing on these three parts in manufacturing. And uh, Toyota has already made until now, I think, I don't know, 15, 16 million vehicles from 1998 onwards. Currently more than two and a half, three million uh, hybrid vehicles. We are in the fifth generation or sixth generation of our electric motors. Uh, the, the production is huge. Uh, same thing with battery technology over the years. Safe battery technology, they worked very hard on it, as well as control. So these things are being produced in volume. If I look at some of the electric vehicles Toyota is producing, there's a Lexus UX, which I have here. The, the parts are common between something like a Cam Camry hybrid. Uh, and if I look at the Mirai, which is the hydrogen one, again, the parts are common, but the main parts are common. So Toyota's strategy is to give the country what is good for the country based on its energy needs. Mr. Kirloska, that was a very engaging conversation. Thank you for your insights. Thank you. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.